0: now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because one, each one, heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how it is that each of us hears them in our native language. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia and Familia, Egypt and all parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jew and converted to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will see dreams. I, Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved.
1: That reading, Katrina, the kids are invited to kids' church in the library with Roxanne today. This is, we, I used to work at a church, and we did for a time, we had a children's sermon before the the sermon and there was a time where I actually tried to do it um, and it did not go well Um, and part of it was is what I found out is that like the only way I would be able to talk to kids was metaphorically like about like oh this is how this is like a metaphor for our relationship with God and finally at one point I read like 10 things not to do in your children's sermon and and, like number one was don't base it off a metaphor because kids aren't old enough to understand metaphors Um, which led me to just quit giving children's sermons. But, But the joke I used to have on Pentecost was another reason I don't give children's sermons is because today of all days is the day we should hand them a lighter and remind them of the gift of the flame that comes with the Spirit, and then I would get fired, and we would all move on from me giving children's sermons forever and ever. Amen. Um, and I did think, Don, Don uh, who's not here today, is often pointing out to me, can I bring tangible things to the sermon? That always helps them connect. And I did think today, how much would the you know, 40 or 50 lighters be at the gas station to hand out to the adults? Uh, and then I thought, I don't know what you guys would do with them after that, um, uh, besides smoke for David. Um, everybody else, I don't know what you do. After that, but but this is the Sunday that we celebrate the Spirit that comes to us, as many of the songs proclaim to us that the Spirit clothes us, that comes near to us, that that shows up in this Pentecost scene that Katrina read for us, um, in which there's this wind and there are all these people gathered, and God's Spirit descends upon the church and fills it. And that scene, as it goes on, it's covered in miracles and grand news. And and I often think that there's a thanks that we owe sort of this um, Pentecostal or charismatic resurgence in America of reminding us of the gifts of the Spirit. That as much as um, uh, the Spirit resided in the church always, that the Spirit also comes in power. That the Spirit fills, the Spirit shakes things up, the Spirit brings life and, and causes this type of stir that's miraculous in these ways. And yet at the end of John's Gospel, I always, I always am hesitant or, or, or want to remind people, the Spirit comes in a different way. That Jesus appears to the disciples in the upper room and he breathes on them and he says, this is my peace, this is my Spirit for you comes as a breath. It comes as wind. It comes as breath. It comes as miraculous. It comes in power. It comes in small places as well. I think there are times, even in our own lives, where we can think that the Spirit, if there's nothing big going on, then maybe the Spirit isn't there. And yet the Spirit, in the way that it comes for the New Testament believers, is one that sort of inhabits prayer and inhabits the space of a person's life. It comes in the mundane as much as it comes in the grand. And yet there are those of us who are, or who are uh, and this is just like me, entirely skeptical of the spirit coming in the grand. I much prefer a spirit that comes in the upper room as Jesus breathes on me as his disciple than in a crowd out with people I don't know in which their best accusation against us is that we're drunk at nine in the morning. I like the still and quiet spirit. And yet both of these are contained for us in the New Testament. What I think it, it calls for us is we say this line of the creed: I believe in the Holy Spirit. They say that God's spirit ekes into every crack of life. It doesn't just start in the small. It doesn't just stay tiny. It moves into the grand. And if the only place you can see the Spirit is in the grand, it works to walk backwards and to say, what is the smaller ways in which the Spirit inhabits in my life? We search for miraculous signs, some people with the Spirit, and that's helpful to do, but it also exists in small signs for us in our life too. I think what that proclaimed in the Romans reading that Park read for us is that through the Spirit we cry out, Abba, Father, the New Testament believers, for us Christians, to, to proclaim, to sit, and to pray, our Father who art in heaven, is an act of the Spirit in of itself. It's the Spirit that comes into that place. And one of my favorite passages about the Spirit, I have too, is, is one about where the Spirit greeds, uh, comes through our wordless groans to make our prayers known to God. The Spirit comes in the place where there are no words for you where you exist in anguish. See, this is, this is not typical. See, I, my other favorite spirit line, which I, I think many people have found in this place, is in, in Psalm 50 about, take not thy Holy Spirit from me and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. This is David after he's, he's um, or in theory, David after he's slept with Bathsheba proclaiming that God would not take his spirit away from him, but that he would restore the joy of that salvation. It's the spirit that comes in wordless groans. It's the spirit that we need in our weakness. It's the spirit we ask for God to be with. And it's one that makes all our prayers and words and known and accessible to God. This is, this is what we say when we believe in the spirit. And I know that's a lot just to start with, but that's, um, I think, where we inhabit today. Now there's this, I, I like to try and find what would be the sermon in short. This is from an East, Eastern Orthodox theologian. I think this quote really captures what I would say that today's sermon is in the, in the shortest point of it. Without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simply an organization. Authority is domination. Mission is Propaganda. Worshiping is the summoning of spirits, and Christian action is the morality of slaves. I'll read it one last time. Without the Holy Spirit, God is distant. Christ is in the past. The gospel is a dead letter. The church is simply an organization. Authority is domination. Mission is propaganda. Worship is the summoning of the spirits. And Christian action is the morality of slaves. What does he mean when he says this? I mean, obviously there's a lot in this line. But what he says, without the Spirit, what we have is the memories of Jesus. And Jesus becomes this thing which is still dead. Or last week we just said in the words of the Creed that he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And if the Creed had ended there, we would know that there is God the Father and his Son who has come and lived on earth and has now ascended to the right hand of the Father. And we would know that he has power. But how does that power come to us today? How does that living presence reside with us today? It's through this next line, I believe in the Holy Spirit, that God comes and meets us in this space. It moves God from saying that God is up there and in heaven. And this is where I think the Holy Spirit, we talked at the, the first sermon about the, the sort of the creed of the age and moralistic, therapeutic deism. The idea that we that God wants us to be good, that God... Um, uh, is somehow concerned about my emotions and feeling, that God is, is sort of vague and out there, and more than that, that God will have as much to do with me as I want, and if I keep God at a distance, that's okay as well. And that I think the Holy Spirit, if I had to pick one spot that really confronts that creed, it's this one, and it's very simple. I believe in the Holy Spirit. And the weight and the truck of everything that comes with that says that you believe in something that resides here in the world. You believe in that God isn't just up there in heaven or the Father just does not up there with with his Son, but that God has sent his presence back into the world. God's presence is real and tangible here. And the the thing we say about the, the Spirit, which is always, again, maybe we have Charismatics and Pentecostals to thank for bringing this reality back to us or making it challenging for me at the same time, is that we call the Holy Spirit the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is a person, uh, persona, um, three gods, one essence, in the classical Greek, but is a an image of the Trinity the same way that the Father and the Son are. That always confronts me and stops me in my tracks because I'm like, I worship God the Father, I worship Jesus his Son. His Spirit is where worship happens in my memory, and that's how I think I would have defined it. And yet the Spirit, too, is also worship... Uh, worthy of our worship in this way. The Spirit isn't just um, the enabling of those things, but is a, is a person who comes and resides and is with the church in a different way. So the song we, we started with, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here, come flood this place, fill the atmosphere. Um, if, if it's just the memory of Jesus, if it's just the memory of God, it's a weird thing to ask. But if it's actually this third member of what we call the Trinity, of this three-party thing that is both one and and three, and it images for God, for us, in ways in which we can understand and be with him, then we're calling out for something real to be here in presence and in power. Again, these... Uh, I I was thinking it would be nice to say Pentecost is my favorite holiday when I got up here, but I'd be lying, so I can't say that Pentecost is my favorite holiday. It's one of the more challenging holidays for me because the idea, and this is uh, going back to this quote, is this idea is that that Christian action is, is, is morality, is me working myself up to do these things sits well with me. I like the obedience that God calls out from God to me even though I fail at it. Uh, Jesus offers me forgiveness. And yet the role of the Spirit in enabling me to live a life, and Eugene Peterson uses this phrase in the, in the message, uh, um, th- learn the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. Unforced rhythms of grace. To inhabit a space like that comes with the Spirit. The type of religion I say I prefer, which I honestly don't, is more pick yourself up by your bootstraps and get out there and do it. Uh, And yet, that's not the religion that God has for us. It's not mission to propagandize the world. It's not the summing of spirits. It's not leaving the church as simply this organization. But it's actually um, a way of being in a way that it's not the stress on us, but it's for us to live and to breathe and to feel God's presence with us. And so today we celebrate Pentecost, this 50-day festival after Easter, You might be wondering sort of what's going on here in this scene in the New Testament, uh, captured an image here. And they're all gathered together, and what Pentecost celebrates, this is the festival of weeks in the Jewish imagination or in the Jewish mind, and they all gather back again in Jerusalem, and they're there to celebrate the giving of the law from Mount Sinai. The giving of the law, Moses goes up to meet with God on Mount Sinai and he comes down and he brings the law to them. It's to celebrate the gift of the Torah that God has given them through Moses, which is an interesting day to have the spirit sort of break loose as well. You know, it's almost like um, in that ancient imagination, they said, you know, God, it's too much for us to deal with you. We elect Moses to be the one who goes, which is sort of what happens in those scenes, so Moses is the one who meets with God and brings back the law. And now what happens here is this spirit is poured out on all people. Normal people too, not kings and princes. It's, it's, it's poured out on the masses gathered. That it's this thing that all people have. Now this summer, I know you're all excited for us to begin our journey into the book of Numbers. Um, literally probably my least favorite book of the Bible. I like Leviticus. Numbers, I'm less excited for myself. But there's a scene in the book of Numbers where um, Moses goes up. uh, Moses, there are people prophesying in the camp. There are people speaking in the spirit in the camp, and they go to Moses and they sort of tell on them, thinking Moses will be jealous. And what Moses says to them in Numbers is, oh, I wish that the spirit would fall on all people and that all would prophesy. And so this day, this Pentecost day, is the day in which that is fulfilled. Uh, um, Peter, which, which Katrina read through us through Peter, goes to the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh is the day that comes in this day. And one thing that, that we miss, I missed, um, is that there's after when Moses comes down and they're worshiping the golden calf, if you're familiar with, with that scene from the Old Testament, and he Uh, I always think of Charlton Heston. I can't not think of Charlton Heston at that moment. Um, But he comes down and he throws the stones. That happens in in the movie, The Ten Commandments. Um, uh, So now I can't stop thinking about Charlton Heston. Um, uh, Get your hands off me, you damn dirty ape. Wrong movie. Um, He's also in Planet of the Apes, funny enough. Um, He comes down the mountain... And what happens is 3,000 people are, are sort of murdered by the Levites. They go out and they sort of say, this is how we're going to make rep and cons for what's happened here. 3,000 people. Interestingly enough, at the end of this passage, which we didn't read all the way to, but we did hear from last week, the number of people added to the disciples' number is 3,000. It's almost like saying that the idolatry of the golden calf of that moment and of that time Um, that choosing against God is now overcome by God's own action through the giving of the Spirit. 3,000 were lost at that moment. 3,000 were gained at this moment. And so this Sunday, we come together, we mark both the coming together of of the Spirit being poured out at Pentecost, but as for Christians, it's for us wise not to forget the history of this moment and of this time in which we hear from God sort of that that this is a story that's been going on long before our the church. And it's often remarked that Pentecost is the birth of the church. This quote on the back of the bulletin, at, at Pentecost we celebrate the, the birth of the church. Pentecost is the climax of the Christian year, as we are now only liturgically, liturgically, uh, able to tell the whole story of God's redemption of creation and is finally summed up through God's new creation of the church. By creating this timeful people, God has storied the world. And as we know, we have everything necessary to know the time in which we live. For God saves by making possible the existence of a people who are formed by God's time so that the world can know that we are creatures of a good creator formed by God's time. This... um, where this quote begins is sort of in that we celebrate the birth of the church, and this fulfills a big time for us. It enables us to tell the full story of God. Is if familiar what we celebrate in the the liturgical calendar? in our church and in many churches as we begin in Advent sort of anticipating the birth of Christ and the return of Christ at the same time and we move into celebrating his incarnation we go to Epiphany season to celebrate the the glories and the appearances in which it becomes Jesus in his earthly ministry as a manifestation of God we walk towards the cross in Lent sorry I'm going really fast we celebrate Good Friday. Easter rises again on Easter. And then we have an Easter season of celebrating the 50 days, like the disciples did, of awaiting the Spirit. And then we, we hear that, that this, that the Spirit arrives. And what happens after this season is called Ordinary Time, which is a great, grand, and normal name. This is next Sunday is the first Sunday of Ordinary Time. But what I think what we're saying is that we inhabit during the space of the the year from from Advent all the way until this Sunday, placing ourselves in the story so that we can hear it as it unfolds for us. That we can go to the dark moments in Good Friday that we can go through the dark moments of the betrayal, and that we can see the glorious light of Easter, that we can sit with Israel awaiting the sign from God in the same way that we sit awaiting the return of Christ in Advent, that, that we situate ourselves in the place in the story so that we can hear the whole thing. I often joke that if you were to say that um, uh, she awakes with a kiss is, is the story of Cinderella, you would have told her Snow White, um, my daughter isn't old enough to watch these things yet. Let's just say Snow White and you can fix it later for me. Um, she Awakes with a Kiss is to, is to say how you know the end of Snow White, but to not have known the story of how she ends there and the challenges and the rivalry is not to know the story at all. And so what we do in practicing God's timefulness for us and sitting with this story is try to really know the story as it unfolds and takes place. And then we live approximately half the year in what's called ordinary time, but it's more like normal time in that now the full revelation of God is with us. I believe in God the Father, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, and I believe in the Holy Spirit is what enables us to sort of speak these things into the world so that we become timed by God's presence for us. And this is the way in which the Spirit sort of works for us. Enables us to tell the whole story of God. And that there's nothing that comes after this is an important thing to say as well, except for the return of Christ. But there are challenges. um, The Spirit, this is always a hard Sunday because if you really want to think about what the Spirit does for the Christian life, you could probably list off at least 50 things. uh, I looked up lists and found lists of my own, and I was able to come up with multiple different things that the Spirit does for the Christian life. It's, it's almost like the underlying current of the Christian life. It is the thing that sort of enables and lifts us up. It makes this more than a lie. It makes us present to us now. And this is why I think the, the, the creed goes on to say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, and I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. I believe in the Church. is to say the Spirit is where we begin to find... Um, that God has infused um, life with himself. That God has somehow met with the people and made them in a new way. So when you say, I believe in the Holy Spirit, you're not just referring to something off there or distant, which technically we're not doing when we say, I believe in God the Father, or do I believe in Jesus Christ, his Son, We're not believing, we're not saying either of those things then, but the Spirit most explicitly names what God is doing now by becoming friends to us, by living in us, by living near to us, by empowering through us, by enabling our prayers, by pouring God's love into our heart, by uh, confronting and challenging, by bringing us to confession, by lifting us up to light and life. That That the Spirit names the ways in which this becomes real for the church the next phrase in the creed, the communion of saints. Now we talked about first to say that we believe in the Catholic Church. The Catholic here means universal. And it's not just that it means universal to say that we believe in the universal church, but what it what I think it helps name for us is we believe in the church that has a mission and call for everyone. We believe in a church that exists in all time and all places with a witness to that Christ and Uh, God through the Father and Jesus Christ and through his spirit, God has has this universal call for humanity. See, if you were to go back into the first century world, almost all religions are sort of regional um, cults. Uh, And I'm not using cults in the David Koresh sense of the word, just regional practices of religions. And most of them didn't have like this idea of like, you know, Artemis, uh, which is the one that exists near... Ephesus is so great, we should take Artemis to other cities, invite other people into the worship of Artemis. It's just a regional thing for Ephesus. More likely than that, they're likely to think of Artemis sort of like the ways we should take Artemis and have her beat up the gods of their gods. Um, and then Artemis would win, and Artemis would still live here, but that's the mission, right? Artemis, we build up in our city. She, uh, When we went through this in, um, a couple years ago, I compared it to like a sports team, Artemis is like Wall Street and the New York Yankees combined in the sense of that's how they would think of it. And there was no, Yankees fans can be annoying and try to evangelize at times, but really that's not their point, right? Their point is for Wall Street to grow bigger, not for you to really participate in it, and for the Yankees to kick your team's butt. That is the whole mission of being a New York Yankees Wall Street fan, let's say. That's the same with most of the religions at this time. But what strangely happens with Christianity is that it's not meant to just stay in a regional sect, is that it goes out into the world and proclaims and, and this is what we heard from Peter and, and what Katrina read is that this is a message for all people in all places and at all times. To proclaim the church as Catholic or as universal is to proclaim that it bears this message that is in no place to exempt. But the second thing, in connection with the spirit, To call it universal is to also say that there is no place in my life in which this is not welcome. All of my life through the Spirit is to be transformed by this. It's a universal message for the world. It's also a universal message for human selves, most clearly myself. There are times where, where we build our own little temples or sand castles in the sand, whatever you might call them, and we're like, I want to be a good Christian. I want to enable my, my life for Jesus. I want to him to come and to reside in my heart, but please don't touch this. Um, and this will vary from different to different people, but at least for me, there have been times in my life where it's like, I submit my life to Jesus as long as it's everywhere except for this spot of my life sometimes that's, well, it's always sin. Sometimes it's, it's, it's conscious sin. Sometimes it's just pride. Sometimes it's, um, I just really don't want to do anything that God might do to mess with this good thing I have going. It might be uh, lying. There's all sorts of ways in which it plays out. But it's a universal message for yourself as well. And the church, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, is the bearer of this message for the world. And the last thing we'll do today as we sort of walk through this line is just to talk shortly about the communion of saints, which is the next line. This is one that I think messes with us as Protestants when we say the creed is because largely we don't talk about saints Um, and what would a communion of saints mean. Now, if you think about Hebrews um, 11 or 12, which one am I thinking of? Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. That's 11. And the faith chapter is 10, then? I always get those confused. Um, It's always good for the pastor to show he's human by messing up up here. I know the verse. Regardless, therefore, (laughs) we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. Perseverance. This is the message of Hebrews, and what's being named in that passage there is this grand communion of saints. There, since we are surrounded by this communion of people who have lived and run this race, let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. And this is a classic biblical theme. As as, as believers today, we don't think about it that much, but God is the God of the living and of the dead. Many times it's mentioned in the New Testament and the Old Testament as well is that God is the one of Abraham and Isaac, your forefathers, and he's also your God as well. And so to say that we're surrounded by a communion of saints is to say that our God is the God of those who live with him now. And they are witnesses to us in the way in which they live to God as we run the race, live the faith, in the ways that God has marked out for us. To be surrounded by the communion of saints is to be surrounded by those, and this is... This is part of the hard part is that is that Christianity is news that you're a saint. You belong to the saints of Ephesus. You would belong to the saints of Defiance Church of Glenwood Springs. That you're a saint as much as you don't want to believe it or think you aren't. Um, you may have some bad habits that continue on with you in your saintdom, but that's what you are. And this is, this is um, a New Testament professor I like. asks his class, you know, given the New Testament, are you... Um, uh, a sinner or new creation, and lots of people raise their hands for both. And his main point is, no, as a Christian, your new news is that you are new creation. You still are a sinner in that sin habit and that, but that is past to you. Your future is laid out before you as one called, blessed, and known by God, who resides with the Spirit, who prays to the through Jesus to the Father, and is known by God. That is your life now. That's not. Um, it seems too much for us. I think at times. We think about the prodigal son story often, and, and a line that really caught me is that we say that we're often the son who goes off to the far country, squanders all our money, on um, uh, wild living is what it says, which assumes a lot in the New Testament. Wild living is very bad living. Comes back and is welcomed in. What does the father say to him? All that I have is yours if we believe that Christians are those who go off, spend their money on wild living, and then come back and are greeted by God the Father, which I think is wise, we often forget the phrase that he, he proclaims to the Son when he returns, which is, all that I have is yours. God, through the Spirit, by being members of the Church, by joining the Communions of Saints, has adopted us into his household, and this is what Romans proclaimed through us. through so that Spirit... Through the place of Jesus, we cry out, Abba, Father, the one who created and sustains all things. We have become as children to him and now live and reside in his household, and that is for us to cherish as good news and to live into in our lives. It may seem like a lot, but it's not supposed to be Bootstrap's morality. It's supposed to be for us to live to learn the ways in which God has called us into new life. Let us pray. God, we come together on this Pentecost to remember the giving of your law at Mount Sinai, the gift of which you gave the Jews to point and preserve the way for for until the the till Christ shows up. And that law still too today is for us. Yet what we find in this day is that your spirit is no longer just in one place or in one time or in the temple, but has been ripped out of that and is loose in the world. Your spirit is now poured out on all flesh. Each person, our neighbor, our enemy, those closest to us, those sitting next to us, has the ability to be called by you and transformed into new creation. Your spirit is bringing forth, forth new life, in this world. So we ask that your Spirit would come into this place, would come and fill our hearts with power and strength, and with the peace you breathe on the disciples.